On this episode of the 2X e-commerce podcast show, I'm going to be talking to a customer retention expert and one of the top e-commerce loyalty marketing specialists you can find on the web today. He's going to talk about the importance of understanding your average order value by segment, repeat transactions, customer lifetime value, and a lot more. So do stay tuned. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hello, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunle Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Not at the enterprise, neither for micro-retailers. This is a show geared to helping ambitious online retailers like yourselves looking at scaling by 2X, 3x and even 10x. I handpick the guests that come on this show to share their expertise and experience and my criteria is based on one question. Can my guests provide valuable information and insights to help you my listeners rapidly grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic, and ultimately sales. If they can, then I try my best to get them on the show. Now, today's show is based around loyalty programs, customer lifetime value, and customer retention. And starting out with loyalty programs, you would have noticed, or you may have noticed, that loyalty programs are making their rounds in e-commerce, and for good reason, especially in the area of replenishables. So if you sell replenishables where customers are coming to you every month or every other month, um, loyalty programs are should be a, a given, really. You shouldn't even think about it. But, you know... Thinking about loyalty programs traditionally, they've been a default way retailers have used to drum up and improve customer retention. Think about grocery stores, their loyalty cards they give you, or um, even your um, your your cafes when you go to, to to coffee shops, for instance, and they give you you know loyalty loyalty cards. Whether it's, whether it's a Starbucks or it's um, a Costa or a Narrow Cafe, and they give you this loyalty cards which you know, encourage you to come back over and over again. Now, if we're to bring that thinking into a more digital manifestation, it's, you know, double-edged sword. It plays first the traditional role of retention. And then the second element, which I find quite interesting, is the word-of-mouth referral marketing bit. Because with lo- with digital loyalty cards, you, you, you get your customers to to carry out actions 
on social media. And those actions will be engagements with your brand, whether it's a review of your brand or a share of their experience with your brand. They share it in social media and their friends see it in social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter. And when their friends see it on, on those channels, they see the engagement, they start to see your brand and are aware, they get that referral and then they get the points. So it's quite interesting. Now, when it comes to e-commerce loyalty programs, one SaaS company seems to be leading the pack and the, the name is Sweet Tooth. They seem to be out there with some of the highest quality content on customer retention and customer lifetime value. And every time I see their brilliant content, a name seems to pop up on, <laughs> seems to pop up generally. And this name is Alex Mygurkin. He runs the Sweet Tooth blog and has immense knowledge in the domain of customer retention and customer loyalty. He is joining me on this call all the way from Canada. He humbly refers to himself as a customer loyalty specialist. I regard him as an expert in, in a domain. Um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome you, Alex, to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, could you take a minute or two to tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, as you mentioned before, um, I'm from Sweet Tooth. We like to think of ourselves as the experts in customer loyalty and customer retention online. I'm personally one of the loyalty marketing specialists here. So I do most of the articles and everything you've been reading, the podcast, kind of letting everyone know about customer retention and loyalty. Mm-hmm. And, and Sweet Tooth, you're based out in Canada. Is that correct? Yes, we're uh, just outside Toronto in one of kind of the tech uh, startup areas of Canada called Kitchener-Waterloo. Right, okay. So you like hockey? I do like <laughs> hockey. I think most Canadians do. It's a stereotype, but uh, <laughs> we definitely do like hockey here. And you don't live in an igloo? No, but, uh, <laughs> most people think that, but no, we don't live. We don't all live in igloos here. All right, okay, 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 okay. Right, so... As far as I'm concerned, most of our listeners are fairly established mid-tier online retailers. At least that's what I like to think. Now, what's your take on customer acquisition at the mid-tier sorry, versus retention um, from, from this context? Sure. So in that kind of mid-stage um, that a retailer would be in, obviously when you first start out, acquisition is going to be huge. You can't really retain anyone if you don't have any. But as you move into the kind of that mid-tier stage, that's where customer retention really becomes important. So you need to, as you progress into that mid-stage, you really need to be kind of sprinkling retention in with your acquisition. It doesn't really need to be split down the middle at this point, but introducing kind of basic retention elements like email marketing, personalization, maybe even a light reward rewards program can really go a long way in establishing when you need to be more focused on retention kind of down the road. It really lays a strong framework mm-hmm. for down the road. And what's your take on, is there any magic number on retention, when to start retention, when you've sort of taken off in terms of the number of customers in your database, from your experience, is there any set number? I wouldn't say there's a set number when you should start. I think it more comes down to the feel of the owner of the store. If they feel like they have an established customer base, because for every industry, it's going to be different, the amount of customers that you have, the amount of people you're selling to. But if you feel that you've had enough customers come to you and you have established enough 
basically contact-based, then you can start using retention to really accelerate your growth and boost your profitability. Okay. okay. What, what about a ratio of um, time spent on acquisition versus retention? How would you sort of split that ratio? Sure. For the kind of like those mid-tier companies, I would say somewhere between 30 and 50%. Once you've become very well-established, Growing through acquisition becomes very difficult. You, you kind of saturate, if you will, customer acquisition as you grow into a very large retailer. So by introducing retention, you can actually continue to grow without kind of needing to pump all the, the resources into the acquisition. So at that mid-tier, I'd say you still want to focus more on acquisition. Um, I'd probably go at like a 70% acquisition, 30% retention. But as you continue to grow, that retention piece of the pie is going to get bigger and can actually eclipse acquisition as you get larger. Fantastic, fantastic. I could see a, at the mid-tier, I could also see a missing link of referral marketing. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on referral? marketing? Referral marketing is huge and it's actually one of kind of the key links between acquisition and retention. So if you're using referral marketing properly, then you're getting your existing customer base to bring you new customers. So that in a sense is acquisition, but when your existing customers refer a friend, they become more invested in your site. They've kind of made a public uh, statement that they like you, and that's going to bring them back in the future. So it, it is kind of the link between the two channels, and it is a very effective one. Uh, this is like a triangle, really, when, when you look at it. Okay. All right. So Sweet Tooth, let, let's move into to Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth is a, is a point and reward solution. What kind of product types or e-commerce verticals best benefit from a point and rewards module? Well, really anyone can benefit from a points and rewards system like Sweet Tooth, but obviously some are much better suited than others. So, for example, if you're selling pianos, let's say, um, that's probably not going to be the best thing for a loyalty program. Someone's probably buying one, maybe two pianos in their entire life. So it's going to be difficult to get them coming back with points. Basically, the biggest thing with a loyalty program is you want products that have kind of repeat purchaseability. Is that someone have the ability to come back and make that purchase again? So some industries that work really well for customer loyalty are like pet supplies, any consumables, supplements and vitamin companies is very big with loyalty, even uh, like the beauty industry. So like makeup, hair products, things like that. Okay. So replenishables would be really where it's all about. Okay. That's, that's really good. What kind of sales uplift should e-tailers with these sort of product ranges that have implemented loyalty and reward solutions actually expect? What, what's ROI on, on a rewards module or rewards program? Sure. I don't want to. I don't want to promise anything um, super specific. But if loyalty is done right or done effectively, is it is it marketed well? Is it well set up? Is the staff dedicated to it? You can see like sales lifts of around thirty percent year over year with a loyalty program. But a loyalty program isn't something that you can kind of just set and forget which is what maybe some people don't realize. So you get what you put into it. Like a loyalty program is a very, very effective way to boost your customer retention and your profitability, but you need to kind of put the effort into it. Okay, let's talk about putting the effort into it. What does a loyalty program management from the back end look like from your perspective? If you look at your top performing customers that get in high ROI, what do they do on a daily basis, a weekly basis, and um, probably a monthly and yearly basis to make their campaigns or loyalty campaigns actually return that high? Right. So it, it all starts with understanding the customer. So with Sweet Tooth, you can reward for different things like social sharing, referrals, account registrations. So it's basically knowing their customer, having a 
good understanding of what that target customer looks like and wants and basically offering things in their program that are best suited to those people. So that's kind of at the start. And on like a yearly basis, you probably want to be kind of like tweaking what you're doing there. I'd say more on a weekly basis, you kind of want to be looking at your program and seeing how your customers are interacting with it. You really want to be able to get a sense of, okay, what are they liking? What's working? Is there an opportunity to test something here? So it's basically like any marketing initiative you do where you always want to be kind of A-B testing it and making tweaks here and there. So if you want to get the most out of your program and the people who do get the most out of a loyalty program are the people that are continually checking in with their customers, with the data and making adjustments based on that. Okay, so there's segmentation features in in Sweet Tooth. Fantastic. Now, let's talk metrics and you know from, from a management standpoint you you need to look at these metrics so beyond conversion rates say number of transactions sales average order value stuff you, you basically see in google analytics and maybe revenue what other core metrics in your opinion should e-tailers track I'd say there's three others that I would say are core and kind of emerging in the e-commerce space, and that would be customer lifetime value, customer retention rate, and your purchase frequency. Okay, let's let's talk about each of them. So, customer retention rate. How how do we calculate a, a customer retention? Right. So it's basically the number of customers who have purchased from you more than once divided by the number of unique customers in your store. That's basically going to know how many people are coming back to purchase from you more than once. You can also kind of tweak that to be like three or four if you want to go from more just like a repeat customer and try to look at someone who's more of a loyal customer than just that repeat customer. Okay, okay. What about frequency? To me, it sounds very similar to to, to purchase frequency. Could you define the frequency, purchase frequency, please? Right. Purchase frequency would be in its basic form, the total orders over the unique customers. So that's basically, you could look at that over a one-year time frame and determine the average customer in your store is making this many purchases per year. Okay. Okay. And then the big daddy in the room, cost, cost my lifetime value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So customer lifetime value, it can be a little complicated. There's a ton of different calculations out there, but my favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times that purchase frequency that we just talked about, times uh, your customer lifespan. And your customer lifespan is basically the amount of time that a customer is going to continue to shop with you. That can also be a little tough to calculate. So if you can find something in your industry, I'd use that. If not, you can use a value between like one to three. One, if you want to just look at like, what's this customer worth to me this year and kind of do like a short-term forecast. And then three, if you kind of forecast a little further out. So I think the lifespan, that lifespan variable is, it's a bit shaky. It, 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 it could change. It's its very volatile. In, in my opinion, it could be as a result of, you know, changes in, in the market, in, in your marketplace. Um, so, um, you know, there could be a new competitor coming and then they, they swap over. And it could also be dependent on, I guess, your product, you know, and trends. Okay, quite interesting. Okay, so why is CLV, Customer Lifetime Value, so important and not just online retail, but but business in in general? Yeah, it's, it's because it gives you a much clearer picture of what a customer's worth. So if we're only looking in business and especially online, if we're only looking at what that customer brings when we acquire them through, say, AdWords, they come and they make a purchase, that's not the full story. If that customer comes back, they're actually a lot more a lot more valuable to your store than you might initially think. And you can actually base your acquisition, your cost for acquisition off this customer lifetime value because it's not just that first purchase. If you can retain them, they're going to be coming back for 
however many years, one, three, five years down the road. Okay. So in calculating your, your customer lifetime value, should you be conservative or quite optimistic in your projections? Right. I would say I would do it on the conservative side. This way, if you make an estimate that's lower than what you actually are and you're basing other things off that, like how much am I going to pay to acquire this customer? If I've been conservative, then in the future, I'm going to see more profitability and be pleasantly surprised. Whereas if I was too optimistic, I might have actually overpaid to acquire that customer. And then I'm not going to be very happy in the future. Absolutely. And looking at the metrics in the calculation for CLV, which of the metrics would you tweak to be more conservative or optimistic? That would be, I'd probably adjust the T. So if you're going to be more conservative, I would forecast that down to maybe just a year and see what that customer is going to be worth to me this year. And then if you're going to try to be more optimistic and project further out, then you can increase that T to be three or five years down the road and try to forecast out what that customer is worth to you over a longer period of time. Okay, fantastic. The T being the lifespan. Is that, is yes. that correct? Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. I'll add this to, to the show note to, to give an illustration on, on it. Okay. Right. A bit complicated CLV um, from calculations I've seen online, but yours appears to be very simple. Yes. It's a very simplified version just to kind of give you the bare bones to make some CLV estimates because... I'm a huge believer in simple CLV is a lot better than no CLV. And that's what a lot of retailers are doing because it's so complicated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. What about segmentation? Are you better off calculating CLV by customer segment? Because, okay, if I used a daily deal site, for instance, you know, on my CLV for the daily deal site, a lot of retailers, this is like offline retailers complain about daily deal sites. They they kind of say like if the, the CLV for, for daily deal sites are just a single transaction, well, the, the purchase frequency is one. So what are your thoughts on segmentation and how would you typically segment to, to accurately calculate customer lifetime value? Yeah, segmentation is huge with customer lifetime value. It gives you a much more detailed and actionable data that you can use. So basically segmenting on anything is effective for CLV because whatever you segment based on, you're basically seeing how profitable that individual segment is to your store. So you could look at like acquisition channels. So is someone coming in from social media actually worth more over their lifetime to me than someone I acquire with AdWords? Or if I segment based on people who came in using a certain keyword, is that keyword more profitable? And I can allocate some more resources there. You could even look at locations. So is a customer from Canada worth more than a customer from the States to your store? Basically segment on anything. You could look at people who are enrolled in your newsletter, enrolled to your blog, basically anything and segment your CLV based on them and determine how profitable each of these segments are. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Let's talk about improving CLV. Should customer acquisition cost be a control before considering improving CLV. So say I acquire a customer from from AdWords. I know how much I cost I acquire a customer from AdWords. So it's it's ten dollars. Should I sort of fix that before considering improving? Should I kind of tame my customer acquisition cost before trying to improve my CLV? 
or can I let it be variable over a period of time while trying to improve my CLV? Um, I don't know if you need to have it fixed while trying to improve your CLV. Improving your CLV is just so profitable for your store that I don't think you should ever kind of put it on the back burner. It should always be something that you're you're considering. And whether that's trying to increase your average order value, increase how frequently people are buying from you, or increase how long they're going to buy from you, just improving your CLV, it shouldn't be dictated by by trying to like stabilize that cost per acquisition first. If you are improving your CLV, then if that customer is worth more to you, then you can actually adjust what you're paying for AdWords and your cost of acquisition might actually be changing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So they're they're all different uh, moving parts really when you think about it. Okay. Exactly. All right. Do you have practical tips for increasing and improving CLV? So you kind of hit on it before. Um, my biggest tip for improving CLV is basically looking at the data. You always want to be looking at what's happening and making adjustments. And if you're segmenting, then you're getting the best and most accurate data for an individual customer set. So um, like I said before, you could look at like that target keyword and figure out that this particular keyword is actually resulting in a 60% increase in that segment CLV over our average store CLV. So we can actually devote more resources into that, focus a little more heavily there. Or maybe it's a location. We can start targeting in that location, do a little bit more research into what the people from that location are looking for and increase the effectiveness and maybe even make it more profitable than it already is. Absolutely. So joining up data, the the metrics and segments would would just make it super powerful to to get you feedback to to improving CLV. Do you have any practical advice in in turning customers into brand advocates? This is more in referral marketing as a step out from CLV, but how how can you sort of get your customers to become brand advocates for you? So maybe a little bias here, but loyalty programs are a fantastic way to kind of get more brand advocates and increase the effect effectiveness of your brand advocates. So if you can reward points for doing things like referring customers, leaving reviews and giving points and encouraging engagement on your site from your customers, then they're going to one, want to pursue those to get those points, accumulate those points, become more loyal to your store. And they're going to become more and more advocates of your site over time as they kind of accumulate and engage with your site more. I absolutely agree with you. There's a psychology there, you know, when you give people a reward for action and it happens a lot also in competitions, you know, when you get, when, when you're running a competition and you, you ask people to take a certain action, which obviously is positive to your brand and they take it and, and it brings more people in. So, so yeah, I, I do agree with you. So I guess it's the way you engineer the loyalty program and um, the kind of messaging you, you actually infuse into, into the messaging they're going to reshare or, you know, do into the actions that you, you ask them to carry out. Um, so, so yeah, that's a really good point. So, so you could actually tie in loyalty with customer referrals. Exactly. Yep. Which, which is interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay. CRM platforms have long been used for managing customer lifecycle and retention in the B2B space. I would sort of like you to recommend any applications in, you know, e-commerce that would be good for managing customer lifecycle and retention. Right. So in the e-commerce space, I'd say like a CRM uh, solution is really good for, say, the example before with the pianos where I have like a large, maybe like slower sale times and I will have high order value on what I'm selling. So I can use that CRM to basically 
take any information I have on the customer who bought last time and basically make some recommendations. Like I know that a piano should be replaced every 15 years. I can have, I can schedule something and reach out to them um, in that way. So it's great for kind of the other side where loyalty programs are great for that repeat purchaseability. A CRM solution would be better for something that isn't as repeatable. And it's great for e-commerce for all the same reasons that it's great in the offline world. It, it allows you to kind of keep tabs on your customer and keep everything organized. So high tight ticket items. Okay. How do you recommend maintaining engagements with customers in, in a bid to drive and improving CLV? What would you do to, to get them to, even if you don't want them to, to buy stuff from your website, to just engage with the brand so you're top in mind and when they're ready to purchase, they, they kind of have you top in mind to, to make that purchase? Yeah, one of the things uh, I'm a big fan of is what we call top of funnel emails. So even if you're not trying to push a purchase, just trying to give people relevant information and information about what you're selling, the industry, just keeping yourself top of mind so that when they say, hey, it is time to replace that piano, my store has been kind of like soft touches here and there, maybe an email every month or so, just kind of keeping in touch, keeping top of mind. And then when that need arises, then the first thing they pull up is my store and I'm the one that they're now all of a sudden engaging with. Absolutely. You earlier alluded to the fact that you could use personalization to, to, to improve customer retention. How do you think personalization could be effectively executed to, to improving CLV, digging deeper into personalization and retention? Yeah, personalization is huge. And the one thing I always like to say is we all have that favorite restaurant or that favorite coffee shop that we go to. And we love them because they know our name when we come in. They know our order. They know a little bit about us. But in the e-commerce world, that becomes a lot more difficult when my customer is thousands and thousands of miles away behind a computer screen. So personalization isn't the same as it is offline as online, but that doesn't mean it isn't effective anymore. So for personalization, you can go as far as like what Amazon does and have like personalized recommendations based on what you bought before, personalized recommendations based on what your friends are doing. But just like from a simple standpoint, even just using the person's name in all your communications. So if you put their first name on all the email, if you're using live chat, we're starting off with saying like, hey, Alex, here is here is blank. Just simple things like that go a long way. Okay, good points. Really, really good point. Just being human. I mean, it's people. Exactly, people that's it. <laughs> okay, okay. On the internet, on, on Twitter, I come across lots of articles that talk about um, Touch and the fact that content marketing helps improve CLV. What are your thoughts on content marketing and CLV? I think you just mentioned, you know, soft touch on um, top of the funnel emails. Could you pipe in content marketing through there or do you think it's blocking? I'll just open to your opinion on content marketing and as it relates to improving CLV. Right. I am a huge fan of content marketing, especially in e-commerce. I think it is a very underutilized form of marketing online. And the people that are doing it are doing it and seeing amazing results. So for improving your CLV, if, if you're constantly updating your blog with information that your customers are looking for, then you're going to be one, getting more people to come to your site because they're not necessarily looking for a product, they're looking for an answer. And if you have the answer, then 
they're going to come and they might find the answer is your product. And when you have an active blog or an active YouTube channel or anything like that, then those customers are constantly coming back to see kind of what's new, what are you talking about? And that's going to, one, improve their purchase frequency. They're more likely to buy with you more often. And if you can use the, the content, say a YouTube show, if you're selling hair products, then you can use the products in that YouTube show and then have the person realize that, hey, that's a great compliment to what I'm already using, and then now you've increased the basket size, you've increased your average order value as well. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. In in the context of e-commerce, what brands do you think are doing e-commerce really well, um, content marketing really well as it relates to, to their CLV or improving their CLV? One of my absolute favorite examples is a shop called Slick Hair Shop. They have a YouTube channel where they basically do it's it's men's hairstyling products and they have a YouTube channel that basically shows you how to cut your hair and how to style your hair and they use their products in the videos and they're not necessarily really hard selling the products. It's more of hey, this is what we're using and then people identify, hey, if I want that same look, then maybe I should be be purchasing from them and I've been following them for a while now, and they started off selling other people's products. They then introduced a product of their own, and now they have a whole line of products that they're selling that's their own brand. Okay, let's talk about that. So, by the way, from the looks of your, your profile photo, it looks like you, you use their I am a customer. <laughs> okay, let's, let's talk about other people's brands. Merchandisers, so people who sell or retailers who sell other people's brands versus um, retailers that sell their brands. What's, what What are your thoughts? Um, do you think, because I think that, you know, um, eventually you should make that transition to selling your brand, but, you know, you might have a different opinion. What What are your thoughts on selling other brands versus um, selling your own brand? There, there's pros and cons of both. So if you're starting up an e-commerce store tomorrow, it's going to be a lot harder for you to kind of show the value of your own brand, establish a name for that brand. It's not impossible. It's going to be a little more difficult. I've seen a lot of success with people starting to sell established brands in whatever they're selling. If they're selling makeup, having established brands there. And then over time, as you start to get a bigger customer base and people are starting to become more loyal, more engaged with your site, then you can start to introduce maybe like I said before, like one product that you make and then try to try to push that when people are buying the other ones. And then you can start to like slowly establish your brand over time. So I'd say I'd say the best course of action, if I was going to start my own hair company tomorrow, I would I would be selling other people's products and then try to slowly introduce my own brand. Exactly. And it give you feedback to know exactly how to launch your brand eventually. Exactly. You see what they're buying and you can see what they're interacting with and you can tailor your brand to your customer specifically. Exactly. 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 Okay. Finally, what win back tactics can e-commerce businesses employ to retrieving lost customers? So this is an interesting topic and one that I love. So you can basically look at, at your customer data and determine what the average time someone goes between making a purchase is. And then you can basically determine what you would consider lost. When someone has become lost, my view on it is basically, I'm going to assume that they're never coming back. And you got to implement that win back tactic. And this is where you can kind of offer maybe like a steeper offer than you normally would. So maybe maybe it's a discount or a coupon or something along those lines where it's a little more than you would generally be comfortable with. But 
if it's effective in bringing this customer back, then that is just a huge bonus because in your mind, that customer was long gone. And yeah, you, you cut into your profitability, your margin on this one. But if you got them back and they're coming back again, then you started that CLV cycle all over again. The challenge I, I find is um, how do you sort of take action? Would it be on an individual basis or would it be more or less um, from a segmented basis? You know, because um, it, it is a lot of hard work, you know, trying to win back customers on a one-on-one basis, you know, on a case-by-case basis. So from your experience and from your perspective, how would you sort of go about winning lost customers? Um, how would you address it? What platforms will help you address it effectively and yet not very time consuming, if that makes sense? Yeah, there's always going to be kind of a relationship between the effectiveness and how time consuming it's going to be. So obviously, the best course of action would be to to kind of get in touch with everyone on an individual basis and find out as much as you can and kind of speak to them at the individual level. But no one, no one's going to have time to do that. So looking at a segment is the best way to do that. So figuring out what that metric is that you're going to consider a customer lost and looking at them as a whole and trying to figure out okay, what elements among this segment are are similar? Like, how can we speak to this segment on the most personal level we can with the information we have about them as a group? Because talking to the, every single individual customer is going to be way too time-consuming for the average e-commerce merchant. Exactly. Because your, your your customer lifetime value has to be, you know, really huge for you, for, for you to justify that, like the piano example you gave. So I guess the only way might be marketing automation. I asked someone else um, the other time and yeah, he, he was in the same opinion with you in terms of like segments. So, so yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, now the evergreen questions. If you had one piece of advice um, to mid-tier retailers looking to rapidly grow their e-commerce ventures or venture, what would it be? Just one piece of advice, please. Customer retention. If if you're only focused on getting a customer, you're never going to realize the, f- the full benefit of having that customer worth a lot over a long course of time. So basically looking at retention tactics is the number one way to grow. Fantastic. Okay. What about book or resources made the highest impact on how you view building e-commerce businesses and growth? So I actually have two. There's a book called Influence by uh, Robert Cialdini, and it's basically looking at the power of persuasion and psychology. And it's not necessarily related to e-commerce directly, but the learning you can get out of there to basically use psychology to your advantage online is huge. And I would definitely recommend reading it. I also have a blog post about it that kind of relates it to directly to the e-commerce world. So I can, I can share that. Um, And my other favorite one is called the click moment. It basically talks about how there's more luck involved in business than people like to give credit for. So it's just kind of a good eye opener with, yes, it's going to take hard work, but there's also an element of luck in everything. And the book kind of talks about how to set yourself up to be more lucky. Nice, nice, nice. I can actually, I'm actually being it um, by a gentleman by by the name of Frank Johansson. Like, uh, I'll definitely check that out. I'll link that through on the link notes. Okay, what about um your three indispensable day to day tools you use out there in Sweet Tooth? From my standpoint, my three tools are Google Analytics, which I'm sure everyone says, HubSpot, and uh, Slack. And Slack. Okay, okay. What Slack groups are you a member of? For for Slack, we mostly use it here as like an internal communication tool. I am a member of some Slack groups, so 
there's a, there's a Slack group around here for kind of like the tech businesses in the city. So I'm a member of that. There's like a Magento community Slack as well. So um, it's just a great tool to one, communicate with everyone in your own organization and get everyone on the same page and communicate with, with everyone external as well. Do you think it's going to replace Twitter? Uh, I don't know about that. I think it would be a little bit of a pivot for them. They are kind of more focused on that enterprise business side of things right now, but they're a bunch of smart people, so I don't put it past them to kind of kind of take the world by storm. Because I, I was I was in the early days of Twitter, and you know, just the, the noise it's so similar. The noise around Slack is so similar, and you know, in the early days of, of Twitter in two thousand and six or seven, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Yeah, let's wait and see. Okay, finally, how could our audience like to follow you? You know, get to know more about you, reach out to you. Sure. So on Twitter, you can follow me at AlexMCEA. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn, and if you want, you can subscribe to the Sweet Tooth blog. So when you subscribe there you're going to get my uh, personal email so we can kind of shoot ideas off each other there as well great stuff on your guest blogging on on the 2x e-commerce website very very soon aren't you yes okay fantastic it's been a pleasure having you on the show alex thank you for for coming on thank you for having me cheers thanks for listening to this episode of 2x e-commerce to help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2x your online retail business hop over to 2x ecommerce.com it's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.